So we are starting a new sermon series this morning in Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's titled, Guarding the Gospel. And we will begin with the first seven verses, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's on page 995 in your pew Bible. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So these seven verses are the beginning of the Apostle Paul's final letter. Paul is writing this second letter to Timothy from the confines of a Roman prison. And this is during his second imprisonment in Rome. His first imprisonment there was sort of a house arrest, where he could be in a house and he could have as many visitors as he wanted. But now in this second imprisonment, tradition tells us that Paul is in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And this was a dismal underground dungeon, and it had a hole in the ceiling for light and air. It was in this prison that Paul suffered while he awaited his execution. Unlike his first imprisonment, where Paul was confident he would be set free, this time Paul knew he wasn't going to escape. He was certain that the end was near. In a matter of months, maybe weeks, even days, the Roman soldiers would come for him and they would come to bring an end to his life. And this would bring an end to his glorious work. For the gospel. And so Paul penned this letter to Timothy to pass on the baton of his ministry. Paul's second arrest came during the time of the persecution of the church during the emperor Nero. This was a season of great difficulty for the church as a whole. And Timothy was in Ephesus. He was overseeing the church there, which was having its own trouble. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul set forth how Timothy was to lead the church. He was telling him that he had to combat heretics who were troubling the church. He had to order the worship. He had to select and ordain its elders. He had to maintain the relief and ministry to the widows of the church. He had to command and teach the gospel just as it had been taught to him. And so now in 2 Timothy, there were much heavier burdens to fall on Timothy's shoulders. With the apostle Paul facing certain death, the task of guarding the apostle's teaching, 
of the one and only true gospel of Jesus Christ would now primarily be the task of Timothy. But Timothy is still relatively young. He was probably in his mid to late 30s at this point. Timothy was also prone to illness. In in his first letter to Timothy, Paul mentioned that Timothy had frequent ailments. Timothy was naturally shy. He had a timid temperament. He, He was an introvert. And so by human standards, Timothy was hopefully, hopelessly unfit for the great task of filling the Apostle Paul's shoes in ministry. But this young man with a sickly, frail physique and a quiet disposition was called to this arduous responsibility in the church of God. Like Moses passing on the leadership of God's people to Joshua, greatness was being thrust upon Timothy. He was to proclaim the gospel and the word of God as it had been passed on to him. Nothing more, nothing less. But the situation in Ephesus, where he was the pastor, was deteriorating. The heretics that Paul addressed in his first letter were still undermining the church. They were still attacking the truth. The church as a whole was being persecuted by Nero. And all of this while the apostle Paul was in, was in the final days of his life. And so Paul wrote this letter, not only to pass on his legacy and his ministry to Timothy, but to encourage him for the tremendous task ahead. This letter is the Apostle Paul's last will and testament, where Paul passionately charges Timothy to persevere in the gospel ministry. John Calvin wrote that this letter was not merely penned with ink, but it was written in Paul's lifeblood. Paul's passion and love for Timothy is felt all throughout the letter. And so as we worship God through this letter together over the next few months, we'll see the implications are not only for ministers of the gospel, but for the congregations, for the church as a whole as well. We'll see what we can do as Christians to guard the gospel that has been taught to us. The same gospel that Paul taught to Timothy and that he charged him to dedicate himself to preaching teaching, and guarding at all costs. And so this morning, as we take a look at Paul's greeting and his prayer of thanksgiving, we'll see in these first seven verses of the letter three reminders of the gift of faith that God has given us. First, we need to thank God for our faith. Second, we need to pass on our faith to the next generation. And third, we need to continuously renew the fire of our faith. The first two verses of this letter are a greeting. And it was a typical greeting for a letter in the first century. The letter begins with the author identifying himself. Rather, with our letters where the author signs it at the end. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul establishes his authority as an apostle in this letter, not for Timothy's benefit. Timothy was fully aware of this. But because this letter would have been read in front of the whole church as well. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, which indicates his office, his authority. But for Paul, this wasn't a title of exaltation. Paul wrote in other places of the suffering and the disgrace that the apostles had to go through for the sake of the gospel. Paul himself is currently in prison 
as an apostle. But within the church, the office of apostle carried serious authority. And so the commands and the rebuking that come in this letter have the authority of one who is commissioned by the apostle as an apostle by Jesus himself. Paul has authority in the church, but he's subservient to Jesus Christ. And for Timothy, he who will soon have a large responsibility in the church, is being given this leadership role by the apostle himself. And so Paul notes of this apostleship is by the will of God. This office isn't given to him by man. Paul didn't give it to himself. He hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it, but God has chosen him for it. And the reason is, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul writes here of the gospel. The reason Paul's an apostle, he is an apostle of Jesus' gospel. Now, apostle, the word apostle comes from the word messenger. That's what it literally translated as. He is a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here he specifically refers to the gospel that is the promise of eternal life. And Paul nears death here. The promise of eternal life becomes more real. But Paul's mission is to proclaim and teach and model this gospel, this promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And now he commands and encourages Timothy to continue on his work in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, the letter is addressed to Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy has been with Paul for many years. Timothy was one who responded to the gospel message through Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And then Paul requested that Timothy come along with them during his second ministry journey. So Timothy was there when Paul preached the gospel, when he planted churches. He was there when Paul was seized, flogged, held in jail. Through the thick and thin of Paul's ministry, Timothy was there, and he became his right-hand man. And this lasted for the better part of a decade. Timothy had been along for the ride with Paul, and he had never deserted him. He was one that followed Paul as Paul followed Christ. And Timothy had a massive role in Paul's work of evangelizing and and maturing the church that he planted. And so Timothy is actually mentioned by name in most of Paul's letters. Here he refers to him as his beloved son. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He's his son in ministry. And it's time for him to mature into a greater role out of necessity. And so there's a typical greeting from Paul here. He writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So then the body of this letter begins in verse 3 with a thanksgiving to God, which Paul does in almost all his letters. He writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. So Paul thanks God, whom he is in service to, as were his ancestors. So here, Paul's service from God comes from a long and established lineage of service to God. He's saying that he serves the same God as his Jewish ancestors. He's not starting a new religion. He's not serving a different God. 
Jesus is the Messiah from the people of Israel for the whole world. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that from the people of Israel, God has provided a Savior for the sins of all of his people, from all nations. And so this service that Paul renders to God, he says he does with a clear conscience. Paul, who is currently chained in a prison dungeon, awaiting his execution, knows that he hasn't done wrong. He hasn't broken the law, but he's chained like a criminal. His conscience is clear, though, because although he's been rejected by human institutions, God stands behind those who trust in him. And Paul tells Timothy that he thanked God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul's thanking God as he remembers Timothy. And he says constantly as he prays night and day. And he clearly would have had the time to pray all day and all night because he's locked in a dungeon by himself. And as he's alone in this prison, he remembers Timothy and he thanks God for him. Paul also remembers Timothy's tears. Paul and Timothy have an extensive history of life and ministry together. And so we see there's a strong emotional tie. Paul calls him his beloved son. He now speaks of remembering his tears. We don't know exactly what Paul's referring to, but we see that this letter is deeply personal and emotional. Paul feels the pain of his beloved son, and he's praying for Timothy. He's thanking God for him. He says that he longs to see him, and so he's anticipating with the joy he will feel when Timothy finally comes to see him. Then in verse 5 he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul thanks God as he remembers Timothy and as he is reminded of his sincere faith. And this is our first reminder of the gift of faith that God gives us. We need to thank God for our faith. Faith is a gift from God. We don't come to faith because we were smart enough to figure it out or because we're better than anyone. We come to faith because God chose us before the foundation of the world. The Father so chose a son, chose a people for the Son. And those people are given eternal life in Jesus Christ through faith in Him. And the faith is a gift, and it's something we should consistently and continuously. Be thankful for. God graciously gives the gift of faith to undeserving people. No one deserves it. And we need God's grace for faith because without God intervening, we would not choose him. We would not believe in the gospel. We would not choose to follow him. And so if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you only do so by the faith God has given you. You needed a new heart. You needed to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And God did this for you. Not because of anything good in you compared to anyone else, but for his own glory. And for this, this gracious gift of God that has brought about our faith, we should be eternally grateful. And we shouldn't only thank God for our own faith. Just like Paul thanked God for the faith of Timothy, we should thank God for the faith of those around us. Everyone who has come to faith has done so by the power of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
We should thank God for the faith of any of our family members who believe in the gospel, any friends who are believers, any co-laborers in the ministry of the gospel. Paul is thankful for Timothy because he has been a faithful servant of the gospel with him for decades. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he told them he was going to send Timothy, and he said that he had no one like him. There were no other people that were with Paul at that time that were genuinely concerned for the church in Philippi like Timothy was. Everyone else, he said, sought their own interest instead of the interest of Jesus. And Paul knows that this is the work of God in him. He doesn't thank Timothy. He thanks God. God has been developing the seed of faith that he planted in Timothy's heart. So for those of us who are working for the gospel, Those of us that are doing the work of the Lord, we should thank God for those that are around us. Those that volunteer to do music. Those that volunteer to work with children. Those that volunteer to do the work of the Lord. We should thank God for them and their faith. But there's more to this statement that Paul writes in verse 5. Not only is Paul thanking God that he's being reminded of Timothy's sincere faith but he knows that it is a faith that dwelled first in timothy's grandmother lois and his mother eunice and now he says i am sure dwells in you as well so we see that timothy's sincere faith is a generational faith it was a faith that was passed on from his grandmother to his mother to timothy himself and that gives us our second reminder about the gift of god The gift of faith that God has given us. We need to pass on our faith to the next generation. Although faith is a gift from God, it's one that we need to constantly thank him for. Throughout the whole Bible, we see this combination of God's sovereignty along with human responsibility. God has given us the gift of faith, but we have a responsibility when it comes to our faith. We are to pass it on. It's not something we are to keep to ourselves. And Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Passing on our faith means passing on the gospel, teaching and preaching the gospel, speaking, sharing our faith, teaching and preaching the word of God. And through this, through people hearing the gospel, God uses this to bring about faith. And God obviously doesn't do this for everyone who hears the gospel, nor does he usually do it the first time someone hears it. God often works through faithful, persistent, loving, teaching the gospel and biblical truths to someone over time. And so for us, we need to consider passing on the faith of the gospel to the next generation. Guarding the gospel means making sure the truth is being taught and that people are hearing it. You know, most people in today's world don't have faith, at least in our country. They don't care to pass it on. But everyone is passing on something. Whatever you value is being taught, whether you realize it or not. One example is the way that some parents pass down being a sports fan. I had a student once who was an avid Philadelphia Eagles fan. This was a girl who loved the Eagles. She didn't miss a game. She talked about them all the time. She once showed me a picture of her as a baby, and she was in a Philadelphia Eagles onesie. 
And so her parents, specifically her dad, had her in Eagles gear from the moment she was born. She saw him every Sunday watching the Eagles. She saw how passionate he was about them. She heard him talking about them. She heard him listening to people speak about them almost every day on sports talk radio. From the moment she was born, through her whole upbringing, she was submerged in a culture that told her the Eagles were important. She learned that the Eagles were something to watch, think about, talk about as much as you can. And this is what God has commanded parents and the church to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the next generation. Now, something I've learned here at Third Reform is you have an excellent outreach to children. Vacation Bible School, uh, consistently through the Good News Club, there is people volunteering and passing on the gospel to children. We should thank God for those who graciously give their time to do this for the children. But we need to ask, how do we submerge them in the gospel even further? Really, how do we bring them to worship with us? How do we get their parents into the ministry of the word and sacrament? so that their parents can believe in the gospel and their parents can begin to teach this to them. Because if you're going to submerge a child in a culture that says the gospel is the most important thing, then the parents need to be involved in this. And so to pass on the faith of the gospel, faith to the next generation, we need to add to what we're already doing. We're already doing amazing things. But we need to put things in place for Sunday. We need to be able to say to these parents of the many children that are already connected to the church, here's what we have Sunday morning. Come join us for worship. This is what we offer for your children. So we can then pass on faith in the gospel to the next generation. So then at the end of this opening paragraph, verses 6 and 7, Paul tells Timothy the conclusion to his line of thinking. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because Timothy has a sincere faith that was passed down through generations, Paul reminds him to fan into flame the gift of God. Timothy is to fan into flame the faith that God has given him. Specifically for Timothy, it's his ministry gifts of preaching and teaching and his passion for the gospel. But for all of us, this is a reminder. Our third reminder this morning about the gift of faith God has given us. We need to continuously renew the fire of our faith. We all have peaks and valleys in our walk of faith. We all have moments of intense passion for the gospel, and we all have moments where we are more passionate about other things, where the gospel can take a back seat. No one is immune to this. The Apostle Paul understands this. That's why he's reminding Timothy to fan this gift into a flame. And every one of us needs to consider where our hearts are at any given moment. Where is your passion at this moment? Is it for the truth of the gospel? Is it for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so God may bring them to faith? Is it for people to grow in their understanding of the gospel so they may grow in their relationship and their walk with Jesus Christ? Guarding the gospel includes guarding against being casual 
or complacent. It's making sure the main thing of the gospel remains the main thing in the church. It's about fanning the passion of our hearts for the gospel of Jesus Christ into a raging flame so that we're living for it, that we're living for God and his kingdom, so that the world may know we are a people of the gospel because they hear it from us. They see it in us. They know it when we interact with them. They see that the gospel is a priority to us by everything we're doing and saying. And so if we consistently renew the fire of the faith, that anyone who comes to this church will be submerged in a culture that screams out, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Not only for us, but for everyone. Paul reminds Timothy that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Paul gives four traits of gospel ministry here. Fearlessness, power, love, and self-control. These apply to the leadership in the church, but really everyone in the church. And fearlessness is extremely important. It's not recklessness. It means the ability to make the appropriate decisions without fear of man. Preaching and teaching hard truth without fear of backlash. Making the right decisions for the church without fear of upsetting people. And this should be done through the Spirit of God, which gives power, love, and self-control to those who possess the Spirit. We have faith in a gospel that has been passed down from the apostles, generation after generation, all the way down to us. And so we should thank God for our faith in the gospel, fan our hearts into flames in our passion for the gospel, so that we will do all God has commanded us to do, including teaching, preaching the gospel, passing on our faith to the next generation. But we don't just have faith. We have faith in something. We have faith in a person. We have faith in the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because every one of us has sinned against God. And this isn't a casual thing. We have undermined and rebelled against the holy, sovereign creator of the universe. The holy, blessed, triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the maker of all things, including us. But we were made by God for God. We are here to glorify and enjoy him, the almighty king who made us. But we've rebelled against him. We've rejected him. We seek to glorify ourselves. We worship the creature instead of the creator. And it's not just that we've sinned. We're sinful by nature. We sin repeatedly every day of our lives. And this sin is not trivial. Sometimes we treat sin like it just deserves a spiritual demerit. But it's cosmic treason. It's an insurrection against the throne of heaven. And so it creates a great chasm between us and God that we can't bridge ourselves. We're hopelessly separated from God and there's nothing we can do in our own person to fix it. Because to be reconciled to God and to enter into his presence, we need perfect holiness. He can't overlook our sin. His justice demands that it be punished. And the punishment for sin is death. But God doesn't leave us in this state. There's nothing we can do to bridge the gap. And only death will pay the price, but God bridged the gap for us. 
God reconciled us to himself. He paid the penalty of death for our sins. The eternal son of God took on human flesh. He lived the morally perfect life that we have failed to live. The morally perfect life that God's holiness requires of us. And in his perfect obedience to the will of God, Jesus died the death we deserve. The sinless, perfectly righteous son of God died the suffering death of a criminal on the cross. And that is the value of the gift of faith God has given us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, he took on the debt of all of our sins. He canceled that debt on the cross. And the morally perfect righteousness from his life is then transferred to us through that faith. And so then we're seen before God with the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us right now, he sees the sinless righteousness of his son. So we're forgiven, we're justified before God, he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us a new heart, and he's working out that righteousness in our lives. Until one day we will be with him in all his glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And he will be our God and we will be his people for eternity. And so that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the object of our faith. That is what we are to guard. Myself, as a preacher of the gospel, the leadership of this church, and the congregation as a whole. Hearing the gospel is how we come to faith. But it's the message that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and reconciled to God. We're given the righteousness of Christ. We are adopted into the family of God as his children. And so we need to thank God for this gift of faith in ourselves in our families, in our friends, in our church members. We need to pass on the faith to the next generation, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, living it out so that the children that are connected to this church will come to faith themselves. And we need to continuously renew the fire of our faith because it's through the gospel that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember every day of our lives that in Jesus Christ, we have everything. Without him, we have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God and giver of all good things, we thank you for your gift of faith. We thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves, that you changed our hearts you brought about a faith in us that we are now continue to live out. We ask that you give us the strength, the fearlessness to live out this gospel, the power, love, and self-control to bring this gospel and to do the things needed to pass this faith on to the next generation. And Lord, through your spirit, may our faith be renewed each day. May the fire be fanned into a flame that we may live for you, your kingdom, and your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.